Welcome back to Death Walks With Us. I'm your host, Angela. First off, as the semester goes on, other students realize they cannot handle certain classes and are dropping them, meaning I'm able to add more classes to my schedule, so it is really filling up. And as this is a hobby for me, I cannot be consistent, and I am super sorry for that. And I'm going to put a little personal information out here. Tomorrow, I'm attending a wedding to which my little brother is so ecstatic. He is marrying his best friend, and this is going to be a wonderful celebration. My family can't wait. And yes, for those who know me, it is actually my little cousin, but he was raised like a brother, which I ran into his kindergarten teacher who asked me how my brother, insert his name here, was doing. He is like a kid brother and I went to his school functions. Second, I did an online poll and it looks like my next major case will be the Jonestown Massacre. This is a huge case with a lot of information and is going to take me a few weeks to sort through. So next week I will also do a mini episode to allow me more time to work on the Jonestown case. I cannot believe how little I knew about it, and I might actually have to do more than two episodes, which was something at the Night Stalker case that I wanted to avoid, but there is just so much to this that I cannot leave it out. Um, in true crime news, 20-year-old Dustin Van Dyke and 18-year-old Gracie Riddle of North Carolina have been arrested and charged with first-degree murder after their baby's body was found buried on their property. The baby died last year, and someone who most likely knows how this child died finally called the police about the baby. I guess the baby wasn't reported missing or reported to have died by the parents. They have yet to do an autopsy to determine cause of death. So my question is, is they, if they don't know cause of death, how can they charge them with first degree murder? Of course, I believe that if you don't report your child's death, you're most likely the cause of it. But from a legal point, if they don't know how the child died, how can they charge murder? But there's probably a lot of information they have yet to release, especially involving the tip that led them to dig up the baby's body. Alright, for this case, I watched two different documentaries and there were some major discrepancies. I tried to read articles and other sources to get the most accurate information I could for this case, but even they had a bunch of different information. I will address the differences in this podcast in case anyone listening decides to watch one of the documentaries. It is not slight changes. Some of these are quite big, but the worst part is they both talk to the same police officers and Jacob's mother. The episode from Dark Temptations was from 2014 and the one from Murder Among Friends was from 2016. So there couldn't have been that much time between the making. So I guess this episode is more about the differences between sources than it is going to be about the case. So, um, the this case is about the 2011 murder of 16-year-old Jacob Hendershot, and it happened in Parker, Florida. This It was during their off-season, and it, this was a very small, closed-knit community. 
When Jacob was born, his mother, Nancy Robinson, knew she could not provide for him. She was too young, had no job, no place to live. She did what she thought was right for her son and asked her parents to adopt him. And her parents adopted Jacob, and he lived in Indiana with them. Nancy said her parents did a wonderful job of raising Jacob, and he grew up to be a fine, young, good Christian boy. And he was very involved in the church. He even went to South America to build wells for the poor. He also loved to play the guitar. In the summer of 2011, Jacob asked Nancy if he could come stay the summer with her. He wanted to get to know his birth mother, and she was excited to have the time to be able to get to know her son. One news article said he came from Tennessee to visit. But after a while, Nancy said Jacob wanted to meet others that were closer to his age. And then, while outside one day, he meets 18-year-old Stephanie Pitsy. Stephanie says Jacob came up to her to say hi, and she thought he was cute, so she asked him out. Now, Stephanie had just broken up with her boyfriend, 17-year-old William Chase. Stephanie and Jacob do begin to date. Now, Stephanie either lived in the same apartment complex as Jacob's mother, or she lived across the street in Tammy Morris and Joel Millsop's guest house. As one documentary said, she was their live-in babysitter, but multiple sources said she lived in the same building as Jacob's mother. Now, I don't know how it's relevant, but in Murder Among Friends, they talk about how Tammy is the one who makes the decisions in that household and is head of the household. They make a point of pointing that out. They do talk about Joel being immature and how he acted like he was still in high school because he still had dreams of being a rock star. Joel was 25 years old, and there is nothing wrong with wanting to be a rock star as long as his obligations are being met. Joel and Tammy either have one or two kids. Sources are different, but they have at least one child together, though most of the sources seem to point towards having two children. Anyways, Stephanie had told Jacob he was cute and asked him if he wanted to date. She fascinated him, and he wanted to make new friends. But Nancy was wary of Stephanie, and over the next few weeks, Jacob would spend more t of his time with Stephanie. Stephanie introduced Jacob to Joel and Tammy, and they became friends over their mutual interest in music. Nancy said Jacob loved playing guitar and also had dreams of being a rock star. Jacob begins to hang out more at their place as well. Now, Nancy missed Jacob, and he had come to Florida to get to know her, so she asked Stephanie for some space because, as Nancy said, her and Jacob needed some bonding time, as they had only just reconnected. Nancy just wanted some alone time with Jacob, for whenever he was at her home, Stephanie was there. Stephanie told her no. Jacob could make his own decisions, and if he wanted to be around her, then she was going to hang out with him. This caused a huge fight between Nancy and Jacob. This would be the only major fight they ever got into. Now, here is where there is major differences between the documentaries. In Murder Among Friends, Nancy talks about, about how this fight had been a major issue between them, and then after a few days apart, she wanted to talk to him about it and couldn't find him. In Dark Temptations, they discuss this, that on 
July 13, 2011, Jacob and Nancy's boyfriend were celebrating Nancy's birthday, which Nancy says in this documentary that her birthday was technically Thursday, July 14th. Then the neighbor, Joel, showed up. He and his friend, William, wanted to hang out with Jacob. Nancy suggested to Jacob that he go and make new friends, even though it was her birthday, so Jacob left. Nancy went to bed and Jacob came back real quick. Her boyfriend said that Jacob left to go drink with his new friends. Nancy said Jacob knew he had to be home by midnight, but Jacob did not make his curfew. Nancy cannot find him in the morning, so she calls his cell phone and there's no answer and he doesn't return any of her calls. So she calls the police, but they think he looks like another teen runaway. He wasn't from around there, nor had any friends. After two weeks with no contact, Nancy knew something was wrong. So, in Murder Among Friends, there is no mention of this birthday party, so I don't know if Nancy and her boyfriend broke up and they decided to skip over it or what. But in Dark Temptations, when Joel comes to the party to see if Jacob wants to hang out, they say this is when he meets William. But in the other documentary, they say Jacob was introduced to William at Joel's house before this night. Now, when there's no signs of violence or anything, too many people, especially the police, will just write teenagers off as runaways. They will not invest any time into looking for these kids. They should. Too many times it turns out something was wrong and these kids had been endangered. Even if they ran away, look into why they ran away. A lot of time, kids run away because of issues at home. Of course, there will be kids who run away because they are brats, but most don't. A while back, I saw a news article about two missing teenage boys from a city nearby. They had been gone over a week before their disappearance was reported on the news. No one in the comments cared. These were two young boys from a group home that had run away before from this group home. They eventually found them shot to death in a field because they had found pot plants. It was reported that one of them was taking the other to show him the plants he found. Besides the senseless nature of their death by not taking their disappearance seriously, that left their murderer free to potentially do it again. Which honestly, I don't know if they ever caught their killer as the story soon disappeared from the news. Alright, back to the case. There are differences between the documentary into the investigation into Jacob's disappearance and eventually finding of his body. It's odd as they are talking to the same people in both documentaries. In Murder Among Friends, the investigators said Nancy thought Jacob had run away because of their fight. Nancy does say in this documentary that she thought Stephanie and Jacob had run away together after their fight and that she called Stephanie who, after saying she hadn't heard from Jacob, started questioning Nancy as to where Jacob was if she had heard from him or saw him. One month afterwards, at a construction site across the street, a construction worker finds Jacob's body stuffed in a concrete culvert, a drainage pipe. The concrete surroundings hid the smell from the workers, causing him not to be found until one looked into it. Jacob was only wearing his crucifix. He was naked. 
Jacob's right cheek was fractured and there were slashes to his throat. It had either been slit or he had been strangled violently. Jacob's body had a lot of trauma as if he had been beat brutally before he died. Now let's look at murder among friends again. In this documentary, because Jacob's body was found across the street from Nancy's home, Nancy came upon the crime scene and that's when they told her Jacob was dead. Now, in Dark Temptations, they discuss how the police started investigating into Jacob's disappearance and they started with the people he knew. This, of course, was before they found his body and they were just looking into his disappearance. With every police investigation, they have to start with the home first. Jacob had been heard arguing with Nancy's boyfriend the night he disappeared because he had come back and took alcohol for the party he had gone to. But the boyfriend was cleared by the police. They talked to Joel Millsap, who said Jacob left in the early hours and planned to walk into town. They thought maybe he got drunk and went for a swim. They searched the waters by boat and air to see if there was anything they could find. The police also looked at social media to see if there was anything. There was no activity on Facebook or his cell phone, and because he was a 16-year-old, and as the officer said, they are glued together. Because there was no activity, they changed the investigation from missing person to a criminal investigation. Then, near Nancy's apartment, they found three mutilated dead cats and wondered, are they connected to his disappearance? Then, a mother called with a tip that a group of teenagers had been gossiping about Jacob and being one of their mothers, she overheard about a post on Facebook. These kids were bragging on there about what they may have done to Jacob. According to some, this group had a leader, Stephanie. Jacob's girlfriend, and she was very different, described as not a normal teenage girl. Besides drinking and drugs, she was into much darker things. She was obsessed with vampires. Teenagers are trying to find their identity, and some find it in so-called vampire cults, where they drink each other's blood. Jacob had a very strong faith in his Christian God, and wouldn't fall for this. It would have gone against his beliefs. Now, I already talked about the birthday party, but in the other documentary, the police had asked Nancy about anyone Jacob would have known, and she had, you know, pointed them in the direction of Stephanie and the Millsaps, which in this documentary, they are called the Millsaps, but Tammy's last name is not Millsap. The investigators discussed how they called Tammy to find and talk to Stephanie as she lived there, but Stephanie wasn't there. So, but Tammy does come in to talk to them about Jacob. Now, this documentary used parts of the police videos, so some of this comes directly from the investigation. In the police video, Tammy tells the police she knows nothing about Jacob's disappearance. She says that Joel had recently started jamming with Jacob in their garage. This was a place where people would meet and drink and play music, just relax and have a fun time. This is where Jacob was introduced to William, who is described as angry at the world kind of kid. Oh, and they liked to play death metal. Jacob wasn't into that type of music, but he went along with it. Now, because Jacob had entered the picture almost as soon as William and Stephanie broke up, 
Louis brought William into the police station to interview. They did ask him if he was jealous, and he said he wasn't. Now, he couldn't understand what Stephanie saw in Jacob, as Stephanie was into some pretty wild things. The police investigate, and they discovered a kinky world of Satan and bloody sex and a supposed vampire cult. Stephanie believes she is part vampire and can summon demons, plus she's into devil worshipping. Nancy claimed she had been warned to keep her black cats inside, which makes you wonder if the mutilated cats had indeed been connected. Stephanie liked bloody sex and would drink William's blood during their sexual activities. She had introduced Tammy and Joel into her world, and they would participate in these kinky activities together. Now, of course, according to this documentary, Stephanie lived in their guest house, and the police went there to talk to her. They saw blood splatters, but because they knew how she liked her sex, it was a very valid excuse as to why there would be dry blood. They brought Stephanie in for some questioning, and she says that only a few knew about her world, and she did try to get Jacob to join. Stephanie admits to the police that she is into Satanism, and that she had tried to bring Jacob into her world three days before he disappeared. She says she had invited him over, setting the mood first before his arrival, but Jacob was horrified when she told him she was a devil worshipper. He rejected her, so she broke up with him, and she went back to William. This is what she described happened in the police video. Here she also claims to now be engaged to William, though he never mentioned it when they interviewed him. She claimed this was the last time she saw Jacob. She also goes on to say how William called Jacob on his own cell phone and told Jacob it was over between them, that Stephanie wanted nothing to do with him. The police spoke with Joel about his last time seeing Jacob. The investigator says how Joel was quiet during the interview, and when asked questions about last seeing Jacob, Joel would not make eye contact and would look down and away. He denied any involvement in Jacob's disappearance or death, but he made a huge revelation that a few days before Jacob's disappearance, he was in the garage with Tammy and William when a very upset Stephanie comes rushing in, needing to talk to William. Stephanie tells William that Jacob had raped her, which there is no evidence he ever did, nor any evidence they had any sexual contact. Joel says he didn't believe it. He thought Stephanie said that just to make William jealous, and but instead it made William very mad. But according to one documentary, Stephanie did not want William to know she had been dating Jacob at the same time as him, and that there had been a sexual encounter. She became concerned she might be pregnant, so she told William she was raped by Jacob. William is enraged about Jacob allegedly raping Stephanie. Stephanie wanted revenge for being rejected. This was her way to manipulate the other young men into doing her bidding. So now police are thinking that maybe William sought revenge. Please bring William back in, and at first he denies it, but then his story changes, and he confesses that they had invited Jacob over under false pretenses, which were 
they told Jacob that he had convinced them to renounce Satan in their ways. Which, remember, the other documentary said he was there for a party to get to know these people, not to help them renounce Satan. There are some minor inconsistencies in the documentaries, but what happened was the suspects had invited him to their home where they assaulted and murdered him. In one, William tells them what happened. They invited him to a party. Jacob has never met William before and had no idea Stephanie would be there. Jacob left to go get some more booze from his mom's. While he is gone, they prepare a vampire ritual. Stephanie wants to drink his blood. As soon as he came back, they ambushed him. 20-year-old James Gay wrapped a wallet chain around his hand, and when Jacob walked in, he sucker-punched him right in the face and fell. Jacob got up and ran outside, being chased by William and Joel, who caught up to him. They cut his throat. I guess it shocked them all after, and Stephanie lost her thirst for blood and refused to drink it. Then panic set in and they had to find a place to dispose of Jacob's body. They had to clean up the blood, shampoo the carpet. But there are multiple other sources that say there was no vampire element in the murder. Which to me, if William is angry about this alleged rape, why would he wait for like this vampire ritual kind of thing to be set up before getting to Jacob why wouldn't he just like attack Jacob first instead of going to get him and then letting him leave and then come back it, it just makes no sense this this part of the documentary some sources though say that they lured Jacob into the woods or other isolated spots but in the other documentary when Jacob arrived they jumped him and beat him Jacob is able to break free and run outside and starts running to his mother's across the street. They cannot let him get away, so they tackle him, and this is when Joel pulls out a knife and slits Jacob's throat. But Jacob was a fighter and wouldn't die, so one of them strangled him. Tammy and Stephanie had been hiding in another room and afterwards immediately came out and started cleaning up the blood. No mention of vampire ritual and no mention of James Gay. Joel and William panicked over what to do with the body, so they stripped Jacob and carried him to the drainage pipe. But according to the Dark Temptation documentary, they got all of this out of confessions before finding the body, and that on August 13, 2011, after William and Joel confessed to the murder, they then led the police to Jacob's body, which was almost across the street from where Jacob's mother lived. His body was in an old construction area. And they talk about how the horror of this location, how his mother would stand on her porch and stare out into that field, wondering where her child was, not knowing she was staring at the location of his body. Investigators saw no remorse in these people, just that they were sorry they were caught. A news article I read interviewed Nancy and she said that Stephanie lived in the same apartment building as her and would taunt her about Jacob. No remorse for the fact that she killed a human being. Now, 
I believe most murderers are not remorseful. They are sorry because they got caught. But many at least pretend to be remorseful. But Stephanie? No. I guess she just did not see the reasons behind playing remorseful. In a jail interview, she said she expected to spend the rest of her life in prison. She said that since she was 10, her father told her she would spend her life in jail. If that's true, there was something majorly wrong in that household. If you think a 10-year-old is going to end up in jail, you need to examine what is going on and seek professional help. They are still young enough to get preventive help to keep them out of jail. Though there are some 10-year-olds that even then it's still too late. William and Joel pled no contest to second-degree murder and were sentenced to 25 years. As for James Gay, according to news articles, he had been recruited by William just to assault Jacob. So after hitting him when he entered, James left and was not present for the murder or cover-up. Therefore, he received 15 years for his role in the attack of Jacob. The judge did take pity on Tammy because she had a small child and gave her three years probation. Now, after a stay in a mental hospital that determined Stephanie was mentally competent, she was convicted of accessory after the fact and sentenced to 12 years, though she is the one who set them on their course. William's mother says William was a blonde, blue-eyed, happy child. Honestly, I hate when people are like, they are blonde and blue eye, like that changes everything. I had watched this documentary a while back, before I started this podcast, and this is one of the reasons I try not to discuss looks. In other podcasts, they will also start discussing looks, like this person's death was worse because they had good looks. They were blonde and blue-eyed. Unless it's relevant, I am not going to talk about someone's looks. But in William's case, his mother made it seem like because he was blonde and blue-eyed, he could not do it. He was manipulated, and it was all Stephanie's fault. He had no free will. Now... When I first started researching for this episode, I thought Stephanie's cry of rape was a form of manipulation to get William to assault Jacob, which it was, and she admits she thought Jacob deserved to get his ass beat, not murdered, but beat. Oh, and when she was discussing this in the interview, she laughed at that. She thought it was funny. Yeah, it was quite disgusting. Anyways... There was manipulation here, but then Joel said he had believed Stephanie said it just to make William jealous. So, where was the manipulation to Joel to cause him to participate in this murder? If he knew it was to make William jealous, this is where I wonder to the full extent of Stephanie's manipulation. Let's talk about Stephanie's cry of rape. When women claim to be raped, the vast majority of the time, they are telling the truth. But that small percentage, like Stephanie, ruin it for legit cases. Society would rather believe a man is not capable of that level of violence than believe a woman, and these false allegations reinforce that belief. Stephanie used rape to get her ex assaulted because he rejected her and her life. 
the fact that Joel said he believed it was fake causes me to question the level of manipulation there. Did William do it because he thought she was legitimately raped or out of jealousy? But if Joel knew it to be fake, why did he participate? Why didn't he talk reasoning into William? When a loved one claims they are raped, it can cause someone to see red, and Stephanie's false claims were to get Jacob assaulted, not murdered. William and Joel, who figured it to be false, went too far and killed Jacob. <sighs> okay. Um, another bizarre thing, though, after Stephanie got arrested, she claimed she did it because of bloodlust. In a jailhouse interview, she said she knew since she was 12, with every fiber in her being, she says, I know this is going to be crazy, but I believe I am vampire. Part vampire, part werewolf. She made this claim on TV. She was very happy in this interview. She claimed she did not want Jacob to be killed, but she was just too happy. It was quite disgusting. So, yeah, this was kind of a hard case to explore as a lot of information did not match up. It's understandable with news articles when crimes are just breaking, but for documentaries made a few years after and with people involved it, and they don't even match up, it's hard to present the correct facts. I guess this was a good episode to cover as it shows what podcasters are up against. Anyways, I would love to hear your comments on this case and what you think. For me, I did this case to show how a female manipulated to get a male murdered, but now I'm not so sure of how much manipulation she did. I mean, she knew her accusations would get Jacob hurt, not killed. Or did she just not know the rage that well in William? Did she miscalculate it? Or is she still lying and fully knew what would happen when she accused Jacob of rape? Her words did cause William to attack and in that moment murder. So let me know what you think. Until next time, thanks for listening. Oh, and don't forget to like and follow me. Oh, yeah, one last thing. I thought I should discuss like um, some of the challenges like of this case. Um, when I do my research, I am looking for the information that's already out there. I am not going to pay for uh, court cases because like a if the cases aren't already up on the internet, you have to purchase them and I'm not going to pay for that. So like it would have been easy if I had the court cases themselves, but like I said, I'm not going to pay because they can cost a lot of money and they should all be free, but you have free access to them. They can't deny you access, but you have to pay the like transcribing fees, uh, copy fees, just all these numerous fees. And some are just like, even that's like a processing free. It's kind of ridiculous the amount of money you have to pay to get them. And it's not just the actual cost of materials and labor. There's a lot more fees to it. Anyways, thank you for listening. The end.